Alrighty. We're asking ourselves an important question. And this is the sixth week we've been asking ourselves this question is how? How can I grow in the grace and the knowledge of, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How can I grow as a Christian? That's a question we've been asking ourselves. And we've talked about the necessity of cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is producing certain fruits in your life, and He is allowing you to put sin to death in your life. So He's allowing you to mortify sin, put that to death, and to vivify righteousness. And so your job as a come is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who comes alongside you to do those things. So mortify and vivify sin by the Holy Spirit. Then the necessity of God's word we spoke about. The word of God is like water for a tree. And a tree that absorbs water that's planted right next to the life-giving stream is going to be healthy. It does not need to wait for rain in order for it to be sustained, but it's going to grow. And a man or woman who plants themselves next to the word of God is like a tree. Its, wheat, its leaf will not wither, and all that he does, he prospers, Psalm 1. If the word of God is like water, then prayer, which we spoke about last week, is like fellowshipping with the sun for a tree. We talked about the necessity of fellowshipping with God in prayer. Christ, the, the main achievement that Christ has given us is, fellow, is reconciliation with God. We are now reconciled to him as a son. And when you approach his courts, you're approaching him as a son or a daughter in Christ. And you can approach the throne of grace knowing that you will be graciously received because you are a child. Today, then we continue. This is week six. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that Christian spirituality is different from all other forms of spirituality in that it is not a private endeavor, but it is a community pursuit. If you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll be looking at verses 14 through 21 for a moment. In every other form of spirituality that I know of, you can grow without other people. Christianity is built on a fundamental reality that you need other Christians in order to grow. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. I'll just start with verse 12, actually. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all, were made, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, 
I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. So, if you cut my hand off when I was just born, that hand wouldn't grow. And I've noticed that my hand needs a wrist in order to maneuver. And my wrist needs a forearm, which is attached to an elbow, which is attached to the rest of my arm, which has a shoulder. And that shoulder needs to be supported by the rest of my body. The wrist, my hand cannot say to my wrist or the rest of my arm, I have no need of you. So none of us can say to any other one, I have no need of you and I can grow without you as a Christian. When each part of the body of Christ works properly, it makes the body grow together. Ephesians 4, 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together by every joint with, with which it is equipped, on each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's, here's the point of the body. A body needs parts, and we're all parts of the body. And if we each work properly, the body will grow. This is not talking about numeric growth. This is talking about spiritual growth. And that's what we're after here. And that does not negate numeric growth for this church. But what we're focusing on here is spiritual growth in Christ for us individually. And we have now seen that according to Scripture, we can only do that collectively together. So here's the thesis for today. God has given us the gift of other Christians in the local church to become integrated in one another's lives so that when each of us works properly, the body will grow. The gift of other Christians to become integrated in one another's lives so that when each part is working properly, it will make the body grow. Now, the question related to that thesis is how can the body work properly? That's what the rest of this sermon is about. And for that, I want to go to Acts 2. I want to go to the main passage that answers that question, and that's Acts 2. Chapter, uh, Acts 2. Um, verses... 42 I'm going to be look at, looking at, but I want to give some surrounding context here. So Acts 2, Peter is preaching the gospel. And let's start with uh, verse 37. So he preaches the gospel. He says, 
Christ is raised again. You crucified him, but he was foreordained since the foundation of the world. And now he offers everyone forgiveness of sins and a chance to repent, starting at verse 7. Now, when the crowd heard this, when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So a Christian, a Christian is a convert, but he's also a regenerate convert. So he, convert, he, go, he turns, but then God gives you the Holy Spirit. That's very important. The lost doctrine of regeneration. Um, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received the word were baptized. And they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. What a great, awesome passage about the first local church. The first local church. The first local Christian church. I want to point out a number of things that this local church did that kind of sets the tone for a biblical church today, which will answer the question implicitly, how can each part of the body work properly? So what did they do? First of all, I want you to notice in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did Jesus say to the apostles before he left? Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. That's what they were doing. They had a community of people, regenerate Christians, who were converted, who were baptized, and now they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching because that is the Great Commission, to make disciples, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And by the way, the New Testament is the teaching of the apostles as they teach us to observe all that Jesus commanded us. And what I'm doing when I exposit the New Testament, I'm looking at what Jesus said or the apostles said so that I can teach us to observe all that Christ has commanded us. So we're making disciples. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they didn't just devote themselves to teaching. 
So it's not just a head trip. It's a devoting themselves in mind and body. Because they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. The breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper. To the prayers, perhaps the Lord's Prayer or some psalms they prayed. And they worshipped together. They attended the temple together and they praised God to one another. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and at the same time they devoted themselves to certain practices that oriented their lives around the gospel. So it's truth and practice was the early church's method. So here's what the first Christian church ever did. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to practices that God has ordained, the Lord's Supper, corporate prayer, and corporate worship. This is about people who placed their faith in Christ and, they, and then began to build their lives on him. Just like Jesus says, if anyone hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a man who builds his life, his house on a rock. Now, I want you to notice that this is, this is not a consumer-driven model of church. The consumer-driven model of church seeks to create consumers of religious goods, and that's not what they were doing. They weren't creating consumers of religious good. They, there was a uh, devotion-driven model. That's what theirs was. There, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to practices that oriented their lives around the gospel. Now, there's a book that I've, I've been very helpful, helped by called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I just want to read you um, the marks of a healthy church according to this honor, author, and I think he's right on. Mark 1, expositional preaching. So this is what a healthy church does. Someone looks at the Bible, reads the Bible, teaches the Bible, and prays the Bible. That's what we're committed to in this church. Mark 2, biblical theology. So I'm teaching the Bible, and I want it to be relevant to your life. I'm not scared of that word. I want it to be relevant. But I also want you to understand the works of God and the salvation that he wrought, starting from Genesis through Revelation, and I want to be able to put it all together. So biblical theology... Mark 3, the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has acted through Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to reconcile us to himself and to make all things new. We preach the gospel in this church. Mark 4, a biblical understanding of conversion, which involves repenting and believing the gospel. It means a change of life as well. Uh, Mark 5, a biblical understanding of evangelism, where we're calling people that they need forgiveness of sins, and they need to repent and believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life that God has acted through to save us. A biblical understanding of church membership, which I'll get into shortly here. A biblical understanding of church discipline. It would be so hateful so hateful of us if someone were living in open and unrepentant sin to pretend that they were not and allow them to go astray. That's what church discipline does. It is the loving way to say, 
your life does not reflect a life that's trusting in Christ. It would be devious. It is devious of a church to turn a blind eye to someone stumbling to the slaughter. Am I right? Next, a concern for discipleship and growth is a mark of a healthy church. And that's what we're doing in this spiritual growth campaign. To, I, I want us to be presented mature in Christ, to grow in Christ. And then Mark 9, biblical church leadership, which involves not just one CEO president pastor, but multiple elders, multiple elders who oversee the church together. And that's what we have right now in its smallest form with two, Lord willing, if the Lord adds to our number, we will have more elders. Uh, and maybe I'm looking at one of those. I don't know. That would be a good thing. So, um, those are the marks of a healthy church. So, there's, these are marks of devotion. Um, and it's about what we're doing together. We are devoting ourselves to truth and practice together with the aim of spiritual growth for the glory of God. Amen? All right. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What else did they devote themselves to? Well, they devoted themselves, look at Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. Um, One commentator says, the definite article, the, in the fellowship, suggests that the first believers formed a distinct and identifiable group. So he's not just saying, and they devoted themselves to fellowship, like hanging out with one another. That is part of it, but they devoted themselves to the fellowship, the identifiable group of Christians. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Um, And it wasn't a casual association. It was a devoted association. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That word devoted means to persevere together. It means to bind yourself with another person, to lock arms together and be strong together. So they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And that's why Peter calls the the local church the brotherhood. I love that. I love that, that mentality for a local church, the brotherhood. He says in, in 1 Peter 2.17, he says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. I want you to notice that honor goes to the everyone out here and the emperor. And fear goes to God. And love goes to the brotherhood. So the early Christians associated themselves with one another. They locked arms together. They locked arms together in virtue of their bond with Christ. It was a fellowship of the king. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they devoted themselves to one another. Now, compare this to the 
casual, almost nonchalant association that so many people have with churches today. It, it, it's almost transient today. The attendance is down all across the country. Um, and part of that is there's no more cultural Christianity as much as there used to be. Um, but still, there is, a, there is a casualness to the, the fellowship. I read it, a statistic that said a faithful church attender 30 years ago, that's in 1990s, uh, would attend two to three times a week. And a faithful church attender today, a, one considered a faithful church attender, will attend once to twice a month. So, here, how can you, so how can you integrate your life with brothers and sisters in this local assembly? Well, Wednesday night Bible study is a good way to do it. We have um, food, coffee, and we talk about the Bible, and we fellowship together. Men's and women's group, women, if you're a woman, we have um, women's group, this thing is, we have a women's group tomorrow, uh, Monday, at Patrick and Erica's house, 3.30. These things are meant to integrate us into one another's life. I think it was Paul Washer, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, quality time comes from quantity time. That is so true. So here, I want to grow together so we become a family. And that, that quality time of feeling Love and that familial relationship comes from quantity time. So you want quality time with a group that involves quantity time together. And over the years, Lord willing, we'll go through twists and turns and ups and downs. Um, but as we do that, we're growing together into a family under Christ. So they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Next, they served one another in tangible ways. Um, that early Christian community that we see in the New Testament literally treated one another as if they were family in regards to their possession and money. In, in um, 1 Timothy 5, well, not just in 1 Timothy 5, in Acts 6 and throughout the epistles, but they're, they were supporting widow, widows. Now, part of that was because a widow, if they lost their husband, had no way to, to support themselves. And the church would come alongside and financially support them. So they put their money where their mouth was when it came to calling each other the family of God. And look at, uh, look at verses 44 and 46. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to those who had need. This, there is a cord of self-sacrificial love that's thick throughout this passage. And I think it's almost an offense to our individualized sensibilities that people would sell all they had and, and give to people who had need in the church. I mean, what is this, communism? It's almost an offense to us, right? But there it is. A record of a local church from the very beginning that quite brought realism 
to the words family of God. Now here's, here's a pet peeve I have. Some Christians act like all the action is outside the church. Any action, you, it's, all, it's all out there. And the only reason to be in here is to mobilize people to get out there. And all the action's outside the church. I, I was, maybe I told you this before, but I, I was looking at a core values of a church a few years ago. And one of their core values was we are um, not inward, but outward driven. Not inward, but outward. And I said to myself, really? Not inward, but outward? Not inward? Look at what the whole New Testament says about the fellowship of the saints. Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, outward, but especially those who are the household of faith. So do good to everyone, so there's everyone out there, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. When Jesus' mother and brothers were calling him, um, he looked at his disciples and said, who are my mother and my brother, my sister? It's the ones who do, do the will of God. So he's pointing to other disciples. Those are the family of God. And then Jesus, that gives logic to what Jesus says later on or earlier on when he says, you visited me in prison, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me, and people in judgment will say, when did we ever do this to you? And Jesus will answer them, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus identifies with other Christians so that when you serve them, you serve Christ. So do you want to serve Christ? Serve the people in right here. That's serving Christ. So I would, lo- I would love to adjust that core value of that church to say inward and outward. Inward and outward but especially to those of the household of faith. Jesus said the distinguishing mark among disciples is this. So how, how, how are they going to know that we're Christians? How will they know that we're Christians? If they came, walked in to our midst, how will they know that we're Christians? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how you will know. So, yes, there is action outside the church to be done. We need to go. That's part of the Great Commission. But, do good to everyone, especially those to the household of faith. So, there is action inside the church. There are good works inside the church to be done. There's love inside the church. And and let me... This might be the most compelling part of Christianity for the world outside. Because if we're inviting people into a group that locks arms together, that treats one another as if they were family, supporting them to the death, now that is a compelling community to be involved in. 
In his book, The Common Rule, which is a good book, um, about the rule of life, um, Justin Early points out, atheism today is not a conclusion, it's a mood. Atheism is not a conclusion, but a mood. And if it's not a conclusion, we can't disrupt it with an argument, but we can disrupt it with presence. I think that's very penetrating analysis of our culture. Here's what he's saying. Most secularists today didn't become secular by reading a bunch of philosophy, analyzing arguments for the resurrection of Jesus, the existence of God, and then after doing all the academic and rigorous work possible, come to the conclusion that atheism is the right answer. That is, I I don't know anyone who's done that. Rather, for the vast majority of secularists or atheists today, their atheism came about as a disapproving posture of religion, or Christianity in, in particular. It's a mood. It's not, a conclu- it's not an intellectual conclusion. It's a mood for most people. Now, the way we can combat that mood is by being a loving community of people who lock arms together so what they shine, let them see your good works so that they might glorify your Father in heaven. I almost quoted Shine from the Newsboys, which says, Shine, make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking forward or in or something like that. So, but that's the idea I'm getting across to you. So the way we can... Now, I, I do believe, trust me, I do believe in intellectual um, defense and even persuasion. But ultimately, you're not going to intellectually persuade somebody who has not come to an intellectual conclusion on their lifestyle. But you can sway them with the love of Christ through a loving community. So if we're a community of devoted Christians who integrate our lives together in self-sacrificial and tangible ways, like a family, we will be a compelling community. Now, there are two other elements that I want to bring in on how we can, um, each part can work properly. Our fellowship must go beyond not just, so I, I talked about a physical things right now. I talked about joining together, treating one, one another as family, physically serving one another. I, I mentioned um, tangible ways. But church needs to go beyond that surface level association and must, that's good, but it must break into a concern for one another's soul. It must break in to the realm of the spiritual. Do you know the day is drawing near when Christ will come back? It is drawing near, and it's closer now than it was when I just said it was drawing near a few seconds ago. And here's what Hebrews 10:24 says. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need other people. We're on a journey, and we're going to trip and fall, and things are going to get in the way. And I need somebody grabbing me by the arm, picking me up, and keeping me going on that journey. I need you out there to grow spiritually and continue in the faith. I need you to persevere. And you need the rest of the people here. You know how you sharpen iron? How they used to sharpen iron? With iron. And the proverb says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So God uses other Christians to grow other Christians. So he's put us in each one, each one another's lives to spur one another on to holiness, to good works, and to continue in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Um, spiritual conversation is another thing. Spiritual conversation is very important because sometime, sometimes in, church, um, in churches, people feel awkward about talking about spiritual things. We had this conversation um, in Bible study, men's Bible study the other day. But here's what Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How would you, how would you like it if I walked up to you and started singing the psalms and, and a hymn and a spiritual song? That's a... But, I think that's a beautiful picture, right? Um, I think that that would be a, a good thing. I mean, so here, here's Paul's point is, let, let spiritual conversation take hold of the community. Don't be nervous of spiritual things. You know, Ingrid and I were just talking about, we were reading in Leviticus, the same portion in Leviticus, and we were talking about how bloody the sacrifice, to be a priest, man, to be a priest, it must have been like working in a butcher shop. I mean, they're cutting these things, letting out the blood, cutting the fat off, and then, and then throwing blood on the altar and then burning it. I mean, it, it, it must have smelled good, like, like a great roadhouse or something, but it must have been bloody. Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> So, oh, so we were having a spiritual conversation about that and how it must have been bloody. And what does that point to? Without the remission of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that points us to Jesus Christ, our ultimate sacrifice, who entered the holy of holies with his own blood, Hebrews says. So, here's a few questions I got from Don Whitney. On, on spiritual conversation starters. So if I use these on you, you know where I'm getting them from. How have you seen the work, uh, how have you seen the Lord work lately? Uh, what has the Lord been teaching you recently? Have you had any evangelistic opportunities lately? Have you had any obvious answer to prayer recently? Lord is always answering my prayers. Um, what have you been reading? I love that one. What have you been reading and how has it impressed you? Where in the Bible have you been reading lately? 
And what impact has it had on you? How can I pray for you? And what's the one place you really want to grow right now, spiritually, in your life? I think those are great questions. Maybe we'll publish that on Facebook later. Um, also, treating one another like family, just side note, means um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is exactly what Paul says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Elsewhere he says, count others more significant than yourself. Because it's natural just for me to be entrenched in myself. Isn't that the natural state? But we need to put that to death and actually be other-oriented even in our disposition. I need to count others more significant than myself. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, when Paul, when in Corinthians, the Corinthians, what a, what a, that singularly sinful church. But they were, they were going to court against one another in the church. And Paul says, why not rather be defrauded by your brother? That's what Christ did. Have this mind among you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God. But then he humbled himself for your sake. So why not rather be defrauded? Why not? I mean, that's turning the other cheek, right? But it's turning the other cheek with your brother or sister in Christ. Showing them the kind of love that Christ has shown us. So, submit one to one another. Count one another's more significant than yourself. You guys are more significant than me. That's my mindset today. Millie, you're more significant than me. I want, I want us to count one another's more significant than ourselves. Being defrauded if we're defrauded. Going the extra mile with one another. Giving in to one another. Because that is what Christ has done for us. You know, you ever been at a camp, around a campfire and... There are burning embers, and there's, something, there's just something mesmerizing about looking at a fire. And you see these burning embers. Now, if you take one of those embers with tongs or something, and you place it outside the fire, what's going to happen? It'll slowly die. It'll lose its red glow, and it'll slowly become black. That's precisely what will happen to you if you are not in fellowship with a local church. The Lord has been, has given me a phrase that I've been praying over for the past couple of weeks. To have a sober mind and a burning heart. I want to have a sober mind, not being turbulent in my mind, having firm convictions, and I want to have a burning heart. Now, what provides fuel for a burning heart that will last forever? It's, it's the big things of Christianity, like the glory of God. But in order to have that, that fuel burning within me, if I'm going to be an ember that's burning continually, I need to be in the fire with the other embers. And that is what the local church is. Lastly, 
spiritual conversation, but then partnering in the gospel together. A local church is not just about itself. It is, it is outward. It's not just inward. It is outward. And so, praise God that um, Nydia, Erica, and Sarah went over to Faith House and were able to have a Bible study with the women there. I commend you for that, and I think that's a beautiful thing. So we're trying to set down spiritual foundations of the church. Um, with your money, when you, when you give offering in this church, that part of that goes to Heart Cry Missionary Society. So we're committed to global church evangelism, which is planting churches all throughout the world and establishing churches throughout the world. And Patrick and I were talking, and we'd like to do something local, too. Um, when the weather warms up, maybe the first week in May, we're going to be doing a gospel walk in Newburgh, um, down the, not Broadway, but where's the place, Patrick? The, the waterfront. We're going to be handing out maybe a track, a bottle of water, in the name of Christ, and um, we're just going to do a gospel walk. And I'd like that to be a regular thing that we do. Um, but we need, to pos- we need to partner in the gospel together. That's very important as a church. Uh, we actually have an agenda in this church. Believe it or not, we have an agenda, and the agenda is to make disciples. That's the vision. Through devotion together and devotion to Christ, by serving one another and loving one another, through spiritual conversation and progress, by partnering together with the gospel until Christ comes. So, in closing then, um, do not, here's my challenge today. Here's my challenge. Do not just attend this church. Join it. That's my challenge. Church is not a spectatorship. It's not a consumer sport. It involves locking one another, locking arms with one another in a local body of Christians in worship, learning, spiritual formation, and ministry. So I'm advocating a non-consumerist approach with the church that you're in, and you happen to be here today. So commit yourself to the people. I think, I think everyone who attends a church, not just this church, I think membership is so important because it's saying, I'm going to intentionally lock my arms around yours and do integrate my life with you, do ministry together, devote myself to you, and you will grow and we will grow together when each part is working properly like that. So that means that we have a membership process that we, we go through. And I encourage you to consider that. So bad company corrupts good morals, right? But good company, God-glorifying company will facilitate God-glorifying lives. So integrate your lives with this brotherhood in order to grow. Through the attendance in church, through Bible studies and home groups, and also come to my house at 1.30 today. If you're interested in membership, you want to see part of how it works, 1.30 today, we have food, we're going to do our annual business meeting, and, um, and if you're even interested in membership, I invite you out to that. Um, And I encourage members to come. Let's close in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name, Lord. Whom have we in heaven but you? And all that we desire on earth is you, Lord. As the deer pants for the water, so our souls pan after you, Lord. May you be lifted up. May our affections be set on you and your glory, Lord. Creating fuel for a fire that burns everlasting. We thank you for your son, Lord. And we will cast our crowns before him. May he be exalted in our midst. And I ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us live lives that are pleasing to you. Pray that we would have endurance and patience and joy as we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior. We love you and we commit the rest of this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I would love to pray with you. God bless you.